Do you wonder where you fit in these changing technological times? Is the system excluding you or including you? I'm James Felton Keith, inviting you to tune in to Inclusionism, a new code of equity, every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. I'll interview leading activists, academics, diplomats, and business people about what it truly means to be included in the 21st century. That's Inclusionism, every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. on WHCR 90.3 FM, The Voice of Harlem.
I love this song. Welcome, everybody, to Inclusionism. I'm your host, James Felton Keith. It is 5.30. Well, it's actually 5.37 in the p.m. Um, here in Harlem. And welcome to Inclusionism, where we like to say individuals are at their best when they identify with the community, and communities are at their best when they identify all of their individuals. And with that said, um, I'd like to welcome our guest this week. Uh, her name is Dr. Shalay Versi, actually H. Shalay Versi. <laughs> I really know this lady. Like, like I've known her for, I think, 20 years yeah. at this point. Um, and, you know, I remember when she wasn't Dr. Versi. She was just like Shay from, you know, the other side of the block. <laughs> <laughs> and before the show started, we were actually talking about this song. I think Leanne LaHavis looks like one of her daughters. And um, so um, that said, I won't tumble down a rabbit hole too far about how we know each other and where we know each other from, but um, she's an old classmate of mine. But uh, these days, she's at Wesleyan and has been a bunch of other places, uh, Columbia, Harvard, and she's a psychologist focusing on health, um, the life course. I need to figure out what that choice of words means. I like to say like maybe the course of life, uh, work, workplace, um, and the intersection between gender and race and aging. She's written some really interesting things about aging and black women and hair and during this week, this weekend, uh, while Harlem Week is going on, uh, I should also acknowledge that our friends over at Curl Fest just finished up another smashing conference. They've grown mm -hmm. out of Brooklyn into Randall's Island. Mm -hmm. And if you're not familiar with Curl Fest, you know, just look up the hashtag online. It's basically a bunch of black girls and guys with curly hair, mm -hmm. just loving their hair, etc. And um, Shay is one of those girls and um so with that said welcome shay thank you yeah it's thanks. good to be here yeah i'm glad <laughs> you're here so y'all this is really it just feels like um we were gonna sit here and, and catch up and, and talk smack yeah. um i think when i was moving to harlem shay was one of the, the first people that i was like stepping out to have lunch with to figure out like i think i'm gonna move here i think i'm gonna be here <laughs> et cetera. Et cetera. but um so before we get into all that stuff, mm -hmm. fill us in on what's what's your latest project going on at, at Wesleyan um, uh, w that relates to community and gentrification and uh, people like us existing in space and time. Mm. What it, what do y'all got going on? What's it? What's this this data project that y'all doing, and, and what does it entail? 
Oh, so we have several projects that are going on, and they're all focused on how gentrifying communities respond to gentrification pressures, whether that means um, being forced to relocate to other neighborhoods, uh, whether that means pricing pressures, you can't afford to buy or rent in your own neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, or if it means just cultural displacement. And that's something new that we're exploring where uh, basically it's you're staying in the same place, yeah. but the things around you change to the extent that you feel like a stranger in your own neighborhood. And none of the things that were once there seem familiar to you anymore. So the actual culture, the heart and soul of the place um, has been displaced. And are you, you all are actually... You're pulling data from people, from residents, about their feeling of displacement even as they exist in these spaces? That's a good question. So I am a, I'm a mixed methods researcher, so I pull from a lot of different methodologies. Um, we use large survey data sets, but uh, there's only so many questions you can answer with larger data sets. You can Mm -hmm. get a sense of what neighborhoods are gentrifying versus not gentrifying versus have the potential to gentrify. But when you really want to know how people feel about living in these spaces, you have to go and talk to them. And so two summers ago, I started a project in Harlem where I went around to neighborhood senior centers. I talked to the older people who were living in the community to get their sense of how they felt about the changes. And that was pretty extensive. A few students and I went around Mm. and we still keep in contact with a lot of the senior centers because um, we build relationships and they want to remain engaged. And they also, as a group, which is sort of a different discussion, but related, is that aging uh, seniors and older adults often feel as though their voices aren't heard as Mm. a group. And so I think um, part of the work that we've been doing has been really fulfilling in that way, in that a lot of the older people really like to see us come and they like to talk to us about all different sorts of things, not just how the neighborhood is changing. But they also don't want to feel like they don't have a say. You know, they want to feel as though their their voices are being heard. So that's been very fulfilling. So that's been more qualitative. And then, of course, we also have been doing a lot of different, um, like, mapping projects. We map out the neighborhood boundaries. Where do people think the boundaries of Harlem are? How do they feel like they've shaped or they've changed over the years? And then recently we did a photography project mm. with the senior citizens where they took out cameras and they took pictures of things in the neighborhood that have either changed or places that were once there and are no longer there. Oh, my God. Is that published anywhere? Um, It is about to be published, yes. I've just submitted it. So, you know, peer review is a little academic. uh, Peer review is a little slow. But, yeah, that's like in in the academic world, but it's not been, I've not really pushed it in any sort of popular. Exactly. That's what I mean. I know. I know. (laughs) When I I say published, right, I'm like, like, what? What do you mean, academic paper? I know. No, I, mean, I know. We need to get it out there. Right. I mean, so it's good that you do that. But right, I'm just thinking this is a, this is an Instagram page. This is yeah, a Facebook campaign. It is. It's just evidence of the feeling of angst. Because I think mm-hmm. on the flip side, where I am as, you know, someone who's who's running for office, running for Congress mm-hmm. in the area, we try to tour 
Um, the it will let me back up for a bit. Older folks in general are, are good voters. They are. And they really do. I mean, whether they feel this way or not, at least the way the political parties understand their existence is they really throw around the most power mm -hmm. because a lot of them, especially who live in these assisted living facilities mm -hmm. uh, and adjacent style facilities, they're what we call triple prime voters. They'll mm -hmm. vote in a primary of any sort all the time. Mm -hmm. Meaning triple primaries, they always vote. They vote in this federal, state, municipal level in the primaries every time. They're going out to the polls. They always yeah. go out. They always go out. There are special programs that get them out to the polls. True. <clears throat> you know, they're all in one place usually. And so, you know, politicians, when they spend funds to get people to the polls, they know that they're a set group to get there. Mm -hmm. Whereas millennials are, or not just millennials, but any younger group, any under 35 group, because mm -hmm. I'm, technically a, a millennial and, and over 35 but they they're hard to find mm -hmm. you know when you when you get to those Tuesdays where we all vote they you know they had a crisis or, yeah. or they had a breakup yep. or they had a brunch yep. or something else that starts with a B Life. but they have stuff <laughs> right I mean just all of them all the B's they have all those things mm -hmm. and even while they mean to vote and do stuff mm -hmm. because I remember arguing with a bunch of older boomers uh, in their 70s not mm -hmm. too long ago about that, and they're like, you know, the millennials aren't voting. I was like, it's not that. You know, when mm -hmm. you all were smoking doobies and burning bras, you weren't voting either. People under 35 don't. Yeah. Um, and even as that number pips up every now and again, um, they typically don't. And it's really up to people between, I think, 35 and 65 to sort of go to work, raise kids, blah, 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 mm -hmm. get old, mm -hmm. you know, so that you actually look old by the time you're 75. <laughs> But it's really because you spent 30 years dragging yourself. This is true. Anyway, this is true. as that is slightly off subject, it's interesting to me that they don't feel like they have a piece of the pie because yes. they are, from a power standpoint, politics is just about power. It's not, I mean, it is about policy, but that's technically secondary to that politics is really about power and who gets to make decisions. That's a great point because and one they of the, them. Yeah. they do, but one of the main things that they said when we went around to these um, senior living um, buildings is the politicians come around when it's voting season, when right. it's time to vote, right. and then they don't see them again. Right. And they uh, were angry. They were angry at not only politicians, but pastors, community leaders, people who they felt come around mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. them for this exact reason, yeah. because they are a dedicated, captive audience. They go and they vote, but then afterwards... Yeah. Th what happens? Well, that's the deal. I think the, it's a um, it's a difficult issue. I know, like, for us running in 2020, we've been sort of, again, coming around mm -hmm. since 2016. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it is, you know, with the effort to get to know folks. Mm -hmm. And on behalf of, not that I represent any of the politicians that I'm, you know, technically running against mm -hmm. here in the area, it's a lot of ground to cover. And so... And I feel that, you know, if they're mad at the church around the corner that mm -hmm. doesn't come around the corner anymore, mm -hmm. they got a right to be mad. Mm -hmm. But if you're trying to cover 800,000 people, mm -hmm. 850,000 people in a district that uses the census poorly, that reports that it only has 720,000 mm. people. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, we're going to we're going to fail at filling out the census again this year, um, especially as it, it becomes digitized for the first time. Oh, yeah. That's there's, a yeah. There's a big coalition mm -hmm. working on that right now. Mm -hmm. But. As it is, it is difficult to make it to them as much as they would like. 
And I think that's everyone's feeling. I'm recognizing just being in politics now mm -hmm. that sometimes showing up and giving somebody a hug, they, or if you show up and, and hit everybody but them. I, just, I was just in East Harlem before I came to the radio show, and I was at a Democratic Club event, and this one woman, older woman, was like, you're not going to come over here to me. But she was surrounded by people. She was sitting down. I was standing up. It was just a, a lot. And I didn't know if she wanted me to disrupt her flow. She was sort of holding court. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, you know, I didn't want to come over here and mess your whole thing up. And she's like, no, no, I need you to. I need you to make me feel, yeah. 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 But then, so, so, but let's, so feeling is so very prevalent. And, it's, and it is something different than, mm -hmm. to, than the realities of their, their power, their power structure. The mm -hmm. old folks have the power mm -hmm. when it comes down to voting mm -hmm. um, or saying what happens to these neighborhoods. Now, the problem is a lot of these politicians and special interests in politics uh, goes against these old folks' mm -hmm. wishes, mm -hmm. which is, I think we can talk about from a, a few different levels, is not only uh, a problem economically, but a lot of the this sort of hyper change and poor communication around change is really inhumane, it's, it's indignified. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so, yeah, so let's dig into that. So, so the facade of, of Harlem is changing. Yeah. They feel like they're losing their grip on it. Yes, they and they feel that they put people in office who might have run on certain platforms or made certain assurances that haven't come to fruition. Haven't backed it up, yeah. And you know, people—they—it's interesting because these people live in subsidized housing, right? Because yeah. they live in these senior um, buildings, which yeah. are subsidized, but they have family and friends who are just also barely holding on. Right. And what I found was that, first of all, it's very difficult to get in one of these buildings. There's yeah. The waiting list is like five years long. And so for people who can't wait that long, what are they supposed to do? And, you know, it's... We could talk about, for example, NYCHA mm -hmm. as a whole, as a, you know... Affordable housing, I feel like, is difficult, but I don't think it's as difficult as we make it out to be. Mm. I do feel that there needs to be political will mm. to make housing affordable, but at a basic level, people deserve decent housing. And so people are very upset. Like, what's going to happen? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a human rights issue. So people are upset because even though they're in these places, you know, they see family members in NYCHA, they have to deal with all these different um, issues, mold issues, all these things that, you yeah. know, you see about, you, you hear about in the news, but... I think it's it's definitely an interesting relationship between power because it's power that they don't feel has been fully realized, is my sense. Yeah, they don't feel like they have any. Yeah. Um, so that feeling is, is important because it informs the political climate. Mm -hmm. um, when I think about NYCHA, again, I'm having this conversation pretty much daily at this point. Our guest mm -hmm. last week talked a lot about um, housing, things we can do structurally, legally to mm -hmm. sort of give some influence and power back to people. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I was just at a, <clears throat> uh, well, a facility like a, you know, w there was mostly older folks there, but it wasn't a sort of a old folks place. Mm -hmm. But um, we were talking about how the electeds can leverage their office to sue on behalf of, you know, their constituents mm -hmm. as plaintiffs to hold city departments 
uh, accountable. accountable. So when you mentioned NYCHA, for instance, I mean, NYCHA is really a, a federal issue from a funding standpoint. So that would fall into the congressman's uh, wheelhouse, but they leverage the city to manage it. And while policies exist that show that it can be well run, run the structure is there, interests have attacked the functionality of the departments, not the policy per se. Mm -hmm. And so the people who run the departments who are then appointed by the politicians are really the problem. And so the politician can always run and say, well, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm saying the right thing. And I established policy to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we just passed eight of nine housing bills that should create a stabilized rent control across the state. Mm -hmm. Right. We passed that in Albany. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're really arguing around housing as a human rights issue because it is just dignified to say, you know, hello, my name is Shay. I was born here. I was raised here. I should be able to have yes. kids here. And I should not have to sort of earn my right to stay here. Yes. And just because, you know, the population wants to grow, et cetera, or someone wants to move here from some other place. Mm -hmm. I don't think that, um, again, I think it's a political issue because mm -hmm. we haven't communicated that in Americana. It's like, well, Prices change. Mm -hmm. Maybe you should move out of Manhattan to the Bronx. Maybe you should move out of the Bronx to New Jersey. And that part is ridiculous. It's ridiculous that if you are a New Yorker and want to be a New Yorker, yes. you can't afford to be a exactly. New Yorker. And so as it is a human rights issue, I think the only way to really protect it is not through the politicians saying they'll pass policy per se, okay. but saying they'll put their office on the line to sue a governmental department to say, I'm going to make it too expensive for you to be negligent mm -hmm. because we're going to sue you to the nine mm -hmm. and require our own government budgets to overspend on fighting lawsuits where I, on behalf of <clears throat> these people and the plaintiff. And I think that's the only way to do it. You have to sort of create a cost imbalance because right now, special interests are, all right, fine, let that politician get elected. I think de Blasio is the worst example. I thought de Blasio was going to be amazing when he first came on the scene. You know, I thought he and his wife and kids looked weird and we should back them up. I just mm -hmm. say it like, mm -hmm. I say it like that in public, so whatever. <laughs> they look weird. And I was like, wow, they're so funny looking. I want to work with them. Mm -hmm. They got me. I ended up getting in politics and working with other folks. But as we did, um, you know, I realized the city departments is where he appointed folks like in HPD mm -hmm. and the Department of Homeless Services, yeah. which really receives folks that HPD is moving out. Exactly. And they move poorly. People can't cycle through the system yeah. well. Same with healthcare and everything else, unless you stumble upon a great caseworker. And that's really luck of the draw. Um, so, so that said, there are... Per you all's research, I like that you say, so what did you call yourself, your multi-method? Yes. That sounds like ambidextrous. That sounds like somebody who can <laughs> dribble with both hands. <clears throat> yeah, it's kind of like that. <laughs> so per multi-method, multi what are, so are there any methods for extracting more, not necessarily sentiment data, hmm. but data around how we may be able to fund I guess you all aren't looking at, at funding issues. So I was going to say um, how we might, um, like what these people think the solutions to their problems are. Mm. Or are they really just saying, you know, that's what I'm hiring this politician for. Like, I don't know, but I want you to go fix it. I, 
I mean, I think their desires are very basic. They just want to be able to live, to afford to live in the same neighborhood, mm. to shop at the same grocery stores. You mm. know, they're not unreasonable. That's, they're like what we all want. We want right. to be able to buy good groceries, you know, enjoy our neighborhood. They want to be able to walk around without, you know, people looking them up and down like, what are you doing here? You know, it's just... And, and so do they feel ridiculed when they walk outside? They feel like the new people mm-hmm. look at them like they don't deserve to be here. Oh, they don't belong here. Yes. When they're like, I've been here. I've been here. I, you know, and that is the, I mean, we went to at least nine senior centers and it was, that was the most frequent comment. Really? Yes. And they're getting that from, let's just be blunt. Are they getting it from white people, black people, the new black, the people? I mean, you like you, you know, you and your family. <laughs> If folks, if you all don't know her, you okay. aren't, all aren't looking live right now online. I mean, Shay's a pretty snazzy person, and so is her family. You know, they're pretty clean cut. That. Yeah, they look like they all smell like that green stuff that the barber puts on your neck when you leave. And so, are they saying? Are they identifying which type of people? Well, it's it's interesting because I don't really like y'all, but I, no, it's, it's a good point because the you know if if we were to look at um, sort of the conventional wisdom on gentrification, many scholars will say it's just a class issue. It's just a issue of higher income, more affluent people moving into uh, more uh, dispossessed communities. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, race hasn't really been a part of the conversation, but it is really? to me. Yeah, exactly. That's it crazy. hasn't. In I, it's been crazy. In, work, in academic it work. It yes. hasn't been. Wow. But now that it's taking more of a center stage in the public discourse, I would say that people are talking about race. And that was what the older adults were. I mean, they talked about it in terms of white people moving in. Right. Um, and those were their words. And, but, and it's interesting because in a place like Harlem, you know, it's always kind of been mixed income and because yeah, there have been black people who have done well. There have been black people who mm-hmm. haven't done so well, but we all sort of lived in the right. same community. And so when when they see me, I mean, I guess you could technically call me a gentrifier since I wasn't like born and raised here. Yeah. But when they were talking, they were definitely talking to you no know, new people white people, people coming from the outside and coming in. Right. Yes. People who are going to the coffee shops. No, no, I'm I'm with them. And Mm -hmm. I think, right, I think just like there was mixed income in the black folks who were here earlier, there's also mixed income in the white, like a lot of the white folks, even though we see some of them looking slightly swank, but Mm -hmm. also, you know, if we talk about race totally, whiteness in general just looks richer, Mm -hmm. I think, to a lot of black folks. But a lot of those people who are moving up here are broke. (laughs) And that's why they don't live. Well, that's why they're coming. Yeah, that's just, yeah, they're looking for cheaper housing. That's a good point. Exactly. Yeah, that's so, true. Um, that said, um, we're going to take a, a quick break. I'm going to play one of my favorite songs called I'm Coming Back by Layla Hathaway. Yeah. Who, I love this. Shay's second daughter is actually <laughs> named after Layla. Is it true that she's named after Layla Hathaway? She is. I know Ron said that, but I didn't know if no, he was kidding. No, it's true. And her middle name is Simone, after okay. Nina Simone. So it's it's all it oh, all So you all both like, I thought maybe he like railroaded you on that, but you were with him. <laughs> no, I was with him. You were with him. Yes. That's good. The whole way. <laughs> so Shay's daughter, y'all, is named after Layla Hathaway and Nina Simone, her second daughter. Mm-hmm. And, um... I don't lost my whole train of thought on where we were going with this song. Yeah, so we'll be right back um, after this. You're listening to WHCR 90.3 FM, The Voice of Harlem. 
It's like, I don't even know if we should turn down. That's like I the know, best part it, of the song. It is. It's oh like sacrilegious to turn it, it down. It is. <laughs> so you all just went and saw Layla Hathaway, what? We did. A week ago or something like that. Uh, yes, it was Wednesday at um, Lincoln Center Out of Doors. She was there singing a tribute. She and her sister, Kenya Hathaway, they did yeah. a tribute to Donnie Hathaway and sang his song. So it was very nice. I don't think I know Kenya that well, mm. but... Um, she, I mean, she's like a she's a musician. Recorder. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's she's got her own. She's on Spotify. Um, I don't know if she's on Spotify. Yeah. Okay. Is right. It, are, you, are you on Spotify? 
I am not. (laughs) Where do you get your music? Well, Ron is on Spotify. So I sometimes I, you know. Ron's her husband, everybody. But yes, yes. right. So he's on Spotify. So you listen to. Well, I listen to. I try to open my. It's the people I hang around with. You know, the young people, they they keep me current. (laughs) Like yourself. The young people keep you current. She's young. We're like the same age, y'all. Okay. She, maybe she got me about two seconds, but we basically the same age. So wait, let's let's talk about this. So you, Layla Hathaway, your your daughter, you know, these these older folks that you all are interviewing around Harlem. I'm assuming a lot of them are older women who have a, a whole lot of opinions. No, not all of them. Not all of them. No. Oh, they, we'll break to them. They th- actually there were slightly more women than men, but yeah. There were a lot of men. There were a lot of men. Yes. In these buildings. In these buildings. Wow. Okay. Yes. Usually some of the most vocal people that we meet in the most local politics are women. Women. Black I mean, women. they they guide the the parties, they guide the they democratic do. clubs. Yes. Um and uh funny enough I was with uh a bunch of them yesterday at a this group called the MLK uh, Democratic Club was having an event over on Strivers Row, mm. and we were at Ponte Bistro before we went there, and there was the, you know these women sitting around the bar who were getting ready to go over there mm-hmm. and talking about they were all talking about hair grease and what to do with their hair, mm. and this was after Curl Fest, and I mentioned it earlier, and they were mm-hmm. just leaving Curl Fest and just talking about you know hair and culture, and they were using like the terms these were older. Actually, one of them seemed older, but she was really like our age. I was like, you know, you got a lot of gray. But um, yeah, I'll go there. <laughs> Some listeners probably like, he's a bastard. Uh, but anyway, as they were sitting around the table, they were talking. They were using language like good and bad, mm. like what was here. Mm. And everyone that I could find with like with locks or like big curly hair, mm-hmm. I went like overboard to say like that's a good hair. And I was telling them about Curl Fest. So there were a bunch of women there who knew about it, who were coming from there. But a lot of the older women who were going to the Democratic Club meeting with me were asking, you know, what is that? What is that thing? Mm. And I was showing them on Instagram. They're like, oh, like, what's this? I'm not on Instagram, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we're showing them on Instagram. And I was like, look at all this good hair. You know, and they were looking at me like, all oh, right, that's the lingo. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's the good hair. Mm-hmm. That's the good hair. That's mm-hmm. the thing. And so anyway, um, as you all sort of assess the public and find out what their feelings are about issues mm-hmm. you like not only gentrification etc mm-hmm. but um but hair and culture um i want to talk about a paper you wrote i don't can't remember how many years this ago what, how, how long ago was it this was maybe 2014 okay that's a minute ago yeah. so a paper you wrote about hair and um stress i know back in the day we used to talk a lot about ptsd you and I, we, we used did. to we, we used did. to suggest that everyone whose expectations weren't met at any point in time was suffering from some sort of micro PTSD. Mm-hmm. And so, what was the title of the paper? Was it real academic-y or was it digestible? No, it was really digestible. It was about hair and physical exercise actually and was hair a barrier right not yes Yes. for women and so is it um it can be so wait what did you all find in the data so yeah i it was interesting because it was a paper that 
we did not collect data for this paper. It actually came from, remember, yes, now it's coming back, because this was around the time that the Surgeon General had made this comment, yes. right, about black women don't exercise because of hair. Mm -hmm. And then the paper was really more of a deep dive into that statement. Well, is it true? And yeah. if it is true, then what are the conditions, what are the situations that sort of um, dictate whether or not black women do or don't exercise because of their hair. Yeah. And so um, we sort of pulled together a bunch of literature that had, well, there wasn't a lot of literature to be honest, but we pulled together some literature and also pulled together other studies that had actually talked to black women about these issues. Yeah. And what we found was that um, it wasn't so much that black women were not exercising because of their hair, but it was a portion of women who felt that regular exercise did compromise. It was it was difficult to maintain both, right? Like so they were what, prioritizing the hair over, over exercise. exercise, yes. Because if I go to exercise today, yeah. and you know maybe my my hair gets you know I get sweaty, I don't have time to do it, then and I have a hair appointment two weeks from now, mm -hmm. then that's a barrier, you know, because yeah. I only have so much money to get my hair done so many times, and so there was all these sort of like economic constraints and also like in terms of professionalism, what do we call professional hair and mm -hmm. like how people felt that they were presenting themselves to the workplace. So it was actually kind of complicated in terms of like when you exercise, yeah. where you exercise and how people felt in terms of the, the public presentation of themselves. Was there anything in the paper about the difference of if these women were talking about having more straight hair or more natural hair? Well, this was at the very, I mean, this was five years yes, ago. Yeah, yeah. So it was interesting because this is when people were really, you know, starting and considering to do natural hair. Yeah. Um, there weren't people who, many people who just came out and said, like, I don't have good hair and this is why I don't do these things. But there were people who said, well, you know, if I get my hair wet, it's more challenging for me to manage it. Right. You know, or my and sister has more issue. fine, yeah, has has more straight hair. And it's but easier But even that word, fine. Yeah, like, yeah fine. Say exactly, fine hair. Fine like, hair. Fine, like, yeah. yeah. So there was a lot of coded language. And also about how people don't, black people don't, you know, the, the, the idea that black people don't swim because they might get their hair wet. Mm. And, you know, that was My also a didn't. thing. Well, yeah, For growing up, she I swam didn't. funny. <laughs> I didn't she can swim now, I think. <laughs> She's 35. I hope she can swim. But it's a thing, <laughs> she though. She's not going nowhere with us. Black swim. people yeah. in water, it's a thing. But I, I feel like we have come so far. Like, I just feel like black women are out here doing so many things. You see so many representations yeah. of. Uh, black women in sports, you have Simone Biles, you have the, the Williams sisters, you have all kinds of people you see like doing athletic things sure, sure. that you might not like back in PE, you know, you would see people like, no, right. I'm, I'm not doing that. Well, Michelle Obama always had straight hair and she was jump, doing jumping well, jacks and go. stuff. She sure was. But you know what? She had somebody with a flat iron right behind her. So She did. And I think that's what also <laughs> encouraged people. <laughs> to do what? To get a just, flat iron? Not to get a flat iron, but just to embrace your hair as it grows out of your head. Did Michelle Obama lead us wrong by doing jumping jacks? With no. Are you not? I know you're not going to go well, no, she, she, <laughs> She's, like, she's wearing it curly now. Is so, she? Yeah, she is, actually. I haven't seen that. Yeah. Curly she, like how? How does it look? Like a fro? Or is it like curly long? Um, 
Yeah. She ain't been in the office long <laughs> enough to grow grow that much hair out because, like, you're giving me like giving me this timeline is making me go, okay, so 2014 is is new growth, right? Because everyone's like, I'm cutting it off, yeah, and I'm gonna let it grow. So there's nothing under there but new growth. Um, I would say, yeah, like 20, yeah, 2011. And like, I know that yeah, term. I've been around a lot of women, so I know, growth. yeah, new growth. That's that new growth. But. <laughs> know michelle obama her hair care practices let me just put that out there but she got a team i'm sure yeah she has a team and i'm sure if she wanted to wear it curly which i've seen her wear it curly she could do that or wear it straight so is that a social infrastructure issue to have teams available for like the women in the, the housing that we were talking about <laughs> too far too much i'm gonna bring it back so you mentioned the Surgeon General earlier, and now I remember that conversation because mm -hmm. I met, I think we're talking about Regina Benjamin. Yes. Who was the Surgeon General some time ago. Mm -hmm. I met her after she was Surgeon General. We were doing a conference in ATL uh, called Hope Global Forums, mm, and we both that. spoke there separately, but there was a big after party and everyone was hanging out at uh, John Hope Bryant's house mm -hmm. in the A, like just all the speakers. Mm -hmm. And Obviously, we didn't talk about this. We talked about everything else. We talked about healthcare. She told me she's an entrepreneur in Mobile, Alabama. Yeah, she's a she in Mobile, and she runs a like a clinic mm -hmm. down there. And I was telling her about the sort of consulting that we used to do. And you know, we were you know how it is at these events. You're just randomly talking about how you may collaborate, and then you never follow up after because mm -hmm. we both doing whatever we were doing. But the whole time in the back of my head, all I could think of was they said. She was too fat to be Surgeon General. And Did they say that? Well, that was where, so when I first, now that I'm jogging my memory and thinking about your paper, mm -hmm. that was what was said. Hmm. And, and then the hair issue, I think was, you know, another issue that I thought was brilliant that you went and touched on, because I had never considered that, you know, black women, because they are sort of shamed out of their hair, mm. now they can't do regular human activity that they might actually need to do to avoid, you know, that sugar, which everybody got. And if you're not <laughs> familiar, the sugar is just diabetes. All the, all the women in my family have diabetes. Now, everyone who's yeah. over 60 mm -hmm. has diabetes. I mean, people think they look fine. Mm -hmm. And I guess they technically are, but every, you know, I guess if everyone has diabetes then it's like, you know, it's, it's just, just a thing. Yeah, it's just manage. that sugar, right? So, but what I remember about, um, you know, I don't know what to, what to say, like General Regina, but anyway, the, about the Surgeon General, Miss mm -hmm. um, Benjamin, was that that was what they were saying. They were saying, oh, she's too big. Now, they've never said that about big, you know, men who mm -hmm. are Surgeon General. So I think when you compound, you know, mm. being a woman mm -hmm. and being black, and to be clear, every time I've ever seen Regina, she's had straight hair with bangs, mm. um, which could be a forehead issue or it could just be a, you know, style Preference, choice. Yeah. Perfect. Bangs can be nice. Uh, I like bangs. I do too. But uh, yeah, I've seen you wear bangs. Well, your hair is always different. It you is. do a lot of hair. Yeah. Is that your hair today? This is my hair. Oh, okay. I didn't know if it came with a hat or you were just wearing it. Uh, okay. See, so, funny. <laughs> well, so, but so per that, um, mm -hmm. it seems to me like five years later, mm -hmm. with events like Curlfest going on, mm -hmm. with sort of this new racial conversation happening as as more people have come out in, into their blackness, and I really think it's a result of our president coming out as a bigot. It's forced everyone to have to talk about race. Mm. I think it's overall a good thing, but as we are there, and we're talking about equity, and we're talking about inclusion, yes. 
I am curious, and I gotta, you know, beat you up about this a bit, mm -hmm. in that I wish you would expand on this work because it's a topic that people want to talk about. It's a cultural topic, but tying it into economics, mm -hmm. tying it into how shame has an economic effect, mm -hmm. is something that we absolutely need. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just like the other project that you mentioned, where the older folks are taking pictures of buildings that have changed and that make them feel like they no longer belong in the place that they've always belonged to. Mm -hmm. um, this needs to be content. It needs to be out. Like, this show is content. This is true. I have these conversations in my head all the time. This is true. Sometimes I have them with you, this yeah. particular one, but this is kind of like we need to be... If we're not talking about us... This is true. Then who the hell else is going to talk about us? Yeah. And it's not even about book sales. It's about the 100 school tour that you get to do, talking about the book that nobody bought, <laughs> you know. And every book I've ever published, I'm like, screw the book. Can I get 20 engagements? Can I do Michigan, NYU, California, yeah. UCLA? Yeah. Because all those kids want to hear it. And the, and the ideas. I mean, I think you're right. I definitely do. I think you're right because, um, yeah, that paper is funny because I remember writing it and not having any data, like you said. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, this is what I think about it. And this is this is what I'm going to put out. And people, when I was looking for my first uh, job as a professor, people, every interview, people would ask me about that paper. Really? I mean, I, yeah. I didn't know that. I, well, you know, it's, it's you never a said it little us. story. Yeah. I, well, it's not, I mean, it's not exciting, but it, uh. it did happen. And I guess people were interested in I don't know maybe the idea of it but also the fact like you said that we don't necessarily have these conversations in either academic spaces but we kind of do have them in public spaces and I think that this is important uh, for black women which is why I'm just so excited that Curlfest has evolved and grown in the way that sure. it has sure. I mean and you see a lot I remember like years ago when Essence Festival first started like, you know, doing yeah. a lot of these we workshops were just around. Yeah. Yeah. And so now you see it and it's kind of like commonplace and it's like it isn't weird to sort of have a fro or have your hair any old kind of way. I mean, yeah. it's just who you are. And black women, I feel that's a great point about all these different intersections, which is also something that um, I study, you know, being a black woman, what type of black woman are you? An older black woman or, um, mm -hmm. you know, what are all your different identities that you bring to the table? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And hair could actually be a part of that identity. Oh, it totally is. It is. You know, people really think about themselves in terms of like, you know, expressing themselves through like their hairstyle. Yeah. And it's not revolutionary, but people feel like it is. It's in some places, if you just want to express yourself by not like straightening your hair. Sure. And it's weird that we're still having these conversations. It's still weird to me that New York City had to ban, had to pass a law that banned hair discrimination or the Crown Act that yeah. just actually passed in California. Yeah. Um, where you can't About discrimination, locks. yeah. yeah. Well, mostly, like, but a lot of other types of hair, yeah. 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 So this is, I mean, it's like, whoa, we're at a place, it's still crazy to me that we're at a place where we have to pass legislation so that people do not discriminate you to wear your hair yeah. in the way that it just naturally grows. I'll say this about legislation. As a <clears throat> technologist, and I know 
it's, it's weird when I'm on the show with people I actually know because I feel I'm embarrassed and think I'm going to sound like a broken record and say something I've said before. <laughs> and she's going to be I'm like, u- I'm used to it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do that. I practice on people, folks. I'm always sort of in a loop of, did I say that? Was it good? Yeah. Um, but no, I do like to say uh, that, you know, that, that legislation is, is a tech. And I'm, a, you know, again, what you would call a technological determinist. I do think that you, and we talk about that a bit here on the show. Mm-hmm. We get pretty nerdy here. Mm-hmm. But I do like to say that establishing this tech, establishing this policy, mm-hmm. it sets a precedent. And, and, you know, people are, regardless of what they say, they are prone to follow the rules. And mm-hmm. so if the rules are do not, you know, tread on my identity hmm. or do not discriminate against me, then 70% of people won't. And the, the leadership work is getting at those other 30% of the people. And sometimes it's a much smaller number than that. But uh, people generally want to respect everyone else. They just don't know how. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think policy is necessary to say, you know, brother with the uh, locks gets to be here. I keep trying to remember to not say dreads anymore. I was told by someone with locks that dreads was a derogatory term. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm learning every day. It's like I'm learning people's gender pronouns and what yeah. we call uh, short people and tall people. Mm-hmm. And what we say about people, you know, that we used to call dreadheads. It's like they just got locks, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and um, and that's a good thing. Yes. So as that is the case, um, you know, as we have a few minutes left mm-hmm. on the show. What I really want is a commitment from you okay. oh, wow. <laughs> to write this damn book. I don't even know if I can say damn on the radio, but I want you to, I want you to write this book. I want to have this conversation more in public because I, I think that our to. labels are important. They are. And talking about them more normalizes it. Mm-hmm. And it's really for these kids, like these Gen Z kids who are radically different from any of us. Like they all look like freaks to me and well, I mean, you know they're the most way. diverse generation to date they are ethnically i mean and it's going to open up a lot of these conversations and a lot of it'll be interesting to see how do gen z people how do they relate to one another being so diverse yeah i think they do it a regular way like they just they're just friends first <laughs> yeah. or they're enemies first yeah. and then they pack on Oh, you look like X, Y, Z. There's a show that I'm loving right now called Euphoria on HBO. Oh my God, that show is amazing. I hope that we can do something like that on Slate TV. But anyway, um, that show is great. Um, I think the conversation about hair needs to be turned into an economic conversation and a moral conversation. Mm. And I think that that paper you wrote is an open door to that. And an opportunity to, I mean, somebody's got to want to fund this. The Fords, the, you know, the some foundation has got to want to fund this to say we need to pull in real data on how much m- more costly it is to be, to not be ideal mm. for what is, like you said, you said professional, mm-hmm. to not be ideal for investment, to not be ideal for so many things, mm. you know. I won't lie. Um, I, I was saying to someone, I remember... This must have been 15 years ago, working with insurance companies. And I remember being around a bunch of folks that were telling this woman that her heels were too high and they made her look vulnerable and she didn't know what that meant. And later to consult her, cause I was still this younger associate at this particular company, as we you know, walked out to lunch and say, look, if a, if a lion was running after everyone, everyone had to run away. One would assume that you were, 
unable to run away as fast as the rest of us, you know, without mm -hmm. kicking off your shoes, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then by the time we get to where we're running to, you, if you do kick your shoes off, you won't have them anymore to sort of be whole again later. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and she was like, but a lion would never chase us down the street. I was like, you're absolutely right. But because of the overmanliness of the corporate space that we live in, we are all waking up and coming to work as if it is a war or we're on safari and we're desperately trying to survive even though we're relatively comfortable people. Mm -hmm. It's like, we're all thinking about every meeting, every email, like life and death. Mm -hmm. And what they're really saying is, they don't think that you're taking the, the inherent threat as serious. And I was like, we can do two things about that. Um, you can slightly comply and become their boss. I was like, but we can also fight sort of gender stigma aside from that. I was like, so there has to be sort of a concerted effort. You're an insider, so you need to fight from inside. Mm -hmm. We can let other people with their fists in the air fight from outside. And mm -hmm. as things change over time, which I think they have mm -hmm. started to, then, you know, you'll be, you'll be better off. And then if you still like to wear those shoes, then, you know, you can just because you like them. Um, and if you don't, because they hurt, because they seem like they hurt, then you can, you can stop. But... Um, I said, but that's the point that they're making. And I was just trying to make a point to her just in general. They're like, this is what they really mean. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with, um, I think, those folks and what they're familiar with. Mm -hmm. And I'm just talking about basically tall, straight, white men mm -hmm. um, who sort of set the bar. They just think other folks, they don't, they're not as familiar with them and how they, uh, how they would distribute resources to them. Etc. And it's about comfortability. It is. Yeah. Like I'm most comfortable. You should see my hair under this hat. It's crazy. I don't really want to cut it. You know. Yeah. Um, and but we should be able to come to work like that. We should be able to do anything. We should be able to run for office like that. Yeah. I will say this though about those young kids. I think we're in an interesting new time where we get to do that. Mm -hmm. I think I get to run even for my office. You know, in t-shirts and a cap and be very black in very white parts of my district, mm -hmm. mainly because, not because Obama did his thing. Mm -hmm. And I do think Obama sort of did us all a favor and died on the cross of respectability for mm -hmm. us, so I don't have to change my voice at all. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying he did, or forget it, I'm saying he did. Mm -hmm. um, but after that, Trump, again, coming out as a bigot, it does everything for us. Mm -hmm. it, it, it helps us. And, um, so with that said, so so you're gonna commit to write the book? I I will commit to thinking about it. Because I know some publishers. Yeah, well, that would be great. I would love to write a book. I would love to write a book about all my research. But so. this book in particular. This book in particular. If you think the people want it, I will write it. I do. Okay. All right. So with that said, um, this next song is by uh, Kate Trinata. It's one of my favorite songs. It's okay. called Wait Off. And uh, Shay, we hope you'll come back. And we got with us more. Thank and we'll talk about the book me. as it comes out. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and we'll get into that. So thank you. Thank you. We'll, uh, we'll be back next week, folks.
strong. 